Welcome to the Awakening Podcast Network. Get ready for an inspiring audio from this cutting-edge voice. You can find more podcasts at awakeningpodcasts.com. You want to go deeper? Get equipped to overcome and walk in God's purpose for your life at Awakening House of Prayer's online campus. You'll experience an online family, preaching, teaching, and prophetic impartation for victorious living. We have over a thousand members online hungry for what God is saying and doing in the earth. Visit ahop.online today and join our family. AHOP TV empowers believers with spirit-inspired messages and strategic equipping that accelerates your spiritual growth. You can subscribe to stream weekly content from Awakening House of Prayer, conferences, and other exclusive content to stir your hunger and encourage your heart. Visit us online at ahop.tv. You know, when I was, my daughter was, um, she about four years old. And I was really, really sick. I was supposed to go on a trip to Alaska for work purposes and also to a conference to serve in Orlando. And I was so sick, I could not get off the couch. I was really sick. I was so sick that my neighbor, uh, this old guy named Mr. Fletcher, he was a Vietnam War veteran. He actually would come over to bring soup and to help me with my, you know, feed my daughter. I was sick for a couple of days. And then, uh, you know, my daughter was like, Mommy, what's wrong? I said, she's like four years old. I said, sweetheart, I'm just, I'm just sick. She's like, well, I'll pray for you. And I said, okay. She prayed for me. She put her hand on my head. She says, Father, in the name of Jesus, heal my mommy. And I kid you not, I stand before God and before you. I was up and out of that couch and off to Alaska just in, you know, in just a couple of hours. I was healed. Amen. There's something about the faith of a child. They don't, they're not covered in religion like some of us are, you know. And so when they go up there, they're getting taught to pray. They're getting taught about who Jesus is and what that means and the Holy Spirit. And it's, it's just not, they're not just up there coloring pretty pictures, although they do that too. Amen. So God is good all the time. Amen. So we're t- going to take, we're in our series, uh, season of, of grace for growth. And we are in a season of grace for growth, but we have to know that when we're trying and aiming and intending to grow, the enemy is going to resist us. You know, the Bible says, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. The enemy is always going to resist you, whether you're resisting him or not. I'm going to say that again. The enemy is always going to resist you, whether you're resisting him or not. So we have to be resistors. We have to go on the offense. We have to root out of our minds and out of our hearts mentalities that would stymie or hinder our growth. You know, when you're, when you're growing up, they tell you, you know, you need the five food groups. You got to get strong. You need your, your, by the way, does somebody in here have a dairy allergy? Somebody in here have a dairy allergy? You have a dairy allergy? The Lord is healing that. He told me that on the way here. There's somebody with a dairy allergy. The Lord is healing that in Jesus name. I believe. Amen. Let me just delay hands on her. Y'all like, this is unconventional. It is. It's called Holy Ghost led. Pray. Point your hands that way. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, be healed. Amen. I'm sorry. Excuse me while I follow the Holy Ghost. 
So we're, we're, you know, we're in this season and we've got to root these things out. And, you know, there's a lot of mentalities. I could list any number of mentalities, mindsets that would cause us to, to not grow at the accelerated rate that God has ordained for us in this season. You know, it's like the five food groups. You, you, you got to have them all to get strong where there's the antithesis of that, which is the mental uh, warfare that will cause you not to resist, that will tempt you just to give up, that will cause you to take on uh, a wrong perception of God, a wrong perception of yourself. And there's lots of mentalities like that. Of course, there's doubt, there's unbelief, uh, there's pride. We talk about pride. But I want to just focus on one that I'm seeing in the body of Christ arising a lot, and it's very subtle. This particular mindset that hinders growth maybe uh, as much, at least as much, if not more, than anything else, it's so subtle. And you might not even notice that you're carrying it. And you may not be carrying it full sail across your entire life. You may just have some certain areas of your life where you've taken on this mindset. It's a mindset that's insidious. It's, it aims to strip you of the power that you carry, to cause you to lay down your weapons, to cause you to, to go in a cave and isolate yourself. It's a mindset from those who are betrayed under spiritual attack for a long, long time. It's a mindset of, of those many times who have experienced abuse or abandonment or some kind of trauma. It's a mindset called victim mentality. And many of you are like, well, I'm not a victim. That's good. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm not a victim. Amen. Maybe you're not. I hope that you don't take on this mindset. But I'm telling you today, so many Christians have this mentality. And you cannot grow very far. You cannot go very far, very fast, or grow very tall and very strong if you have this mentality. And I'm going to show you why. We've got to strip ourselves. There's deliverance in the house today from these kinds of things. And as I go through this today, if you, you might not recognize, I've got a slew of them. You might not see yourself in all of these, but I ask you even now to please pay attention because if you see even one of these, it's a sign that there's something there in your mind that doesn't belong there. You are not a victim. You are a victory. The victory belongs to you. Christ died to give it to you. And there's nothing that anybody can do to make you feel any way unless you choose to feel that way. You don't have to, you may, you may be hurt, but you don't have to stay hurt. You may have been abused, but you don't have to keep getting abused. You may have been depressed, but you don't have to stay depressed. I understand that life is hard, but I also understand that God is good. Amen? Oh, my gosh. Three of you believe God is good. I am just so confused. Hallelujah. Let me read you a scripture. John 5, 2 through 9. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew... Bethesda, having five porticos. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons, the translation is at the Kairos time, into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first after stirring up the water stopped in, stepped in, was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. Verse five, a man who had been ill for 38 years, was there. And when Jesus saw him, isn't it good news that Jesus saw him? See, even when you've been laying in your 
devastated condition, even when you've been laying in your sickness, even when you've been laying in your depression, even when you've been laying in your victim mentality, God sees you and he'll stop for you. He'll stop for the one, but you need to receive him. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time in that condition, he said to him, do you wish to get well? (laughs) And the sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, (laughs) while I am coming, another steps down before me. Now, this man had a victim mentality. He had a poor me mentality. He's saying, you know, he, when Jesus said, do you want to be well? He should have said, yes, Lord. That's, that would have been my answer. I wouldn't have given him a bunch of excuses as to why I'm not healed. I would have said, yes, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Yes, God, I want to get out of this condition. I want to get out of this financial devastation. Yes, Lord, I want to go higher in you. Yes, Lord, I would have said, yes, Lord. And not only that, 38 years, dear ones, is a long time. I think over the course of 38 years, I could have wiggled myself to the edge of that pool. I would have paid somebody to carry me there. I would have pushed and prodded. I would have knocked somebody else out. of. I would have done something. I would have been desperate enough after five years to do something different than what I had already been doing. After 10 years, I would have been especially desperate to see a change in my life. So I would have made a change in my life. We have to understand that we are responsible in our lives. People do things to you, but you You are the one that gets to choose whether you become a victim or whether you walk in a greater measure of victory because of what you've been through. I said, you can either be bitter or you can be better. It's up to you. And this guy was bitter. He was complaining. He was sitting on the edge of the supernatural, sitting at the edge of a pool where angels came and troubled the water, sitting at the edge of the supernatural. And all he could do was whine and moan and groan. Beloved, I tell you today, whatever you're going through, whatever you're dealing with, you are sitting on the edge of the supernatural. The Holy Spirit is with you all the time. He will never leave you or forsake you even to the end of the age. The supernatural realm is all around about you. The kingdom of God is within you. You don't have to feel sorry for yourself. You're not a victim. Somebody say, I'm not a victim. victim. Amen. That's good. Here is this man talking to Jesus about why he couldn't be healed. He was wrapped up in this issue. His identity was, was, was victim. All the obstacles, all the trials, all the warfare. And Jesus did not show him pity. Isn't that something? He made a pitiful case and Jesus didn't say, oh, you poor little thing. I'm so sorry for you. Oh, I'm so sorry you're crippled and and I'm so sorry that you've got no friends that love you enough to pick you up and carry you to that water. I'm so sorry that you've had to. uh, No, he didn't show pity. God doesn't show pity on us. God shows compassion. And it's a different thing. Anytime you read in the Bible where Jesus was moved with compassion, Miracles always took place. Look, and I don't want God's pity. I want his compassion. There are two different things. Pity doesn't change my life. Compassion will. And so Jesus said, he said in verse eight, get up, pick up your pallet and walk. And immediately the man became well and he picked up his pallet and he began to walk. It was just that simple. 
It's called a miracle. And I'm here today to tell you, God sent me to tell you that some of you are on the edge of the supernatural and your miracle is closer than you think. If you'll just shift your mindset, if you'll just stop feeling sorry for yourself, if you'll just stop taking on the victim mentality, woe is me. Nobody knows the troubles I've seen. Nobody knows my sorrow. If you'll just grab hold of the supernatural God, he will lift you up out of the devastation, out of the rumble, out of the chaos, and he'll put you in a place of victory where you belong. But you have to decide to go there with him. Legally, that's your position. Legally, you are victorious. But many times in our life, we don't feel victorious. We don't see the victory. All we see is warfare, 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 lack, 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 sickness, 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 debt, 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 defeat, defeat, defeat. And after a long season of this, we can begin to feel like we can't win. The victim mentality. It's a mindset that you are a victim. And you aren't born with this. Nobody's born with a victim mentality. We're all born on an even keel. But we develop this mentality through life's tragedies, through divorces, people cheating on us, betrayals. We develop this. This is something that the enemy tries to convince us of. In other words, the enemy will tell you. He's subtle. He's so subtle. He's so subtle. Sometimes he's not so subtle, but he's subtle. Injustices, tragedy, abuses. But there was a trigger event somewhere in your life. For those of you who suffer from this malady, there was a trigger event somewhere in your life that caused you to see yourself as a victim. And if that's not you today, then educate yourself as to what this looks like so that the enemy won't be successful in putting it on you. So that when you hear these thoughts, when you feel these things, you'll know without a shadow of a doubt, wait a minute, the enemy's coming to try to warp who I am in Christ, my identity, how I see myself, how I see God. I want you to grab hold of what we're saying here today. By we, I mean me and the Holy Spirit. I want you to grab hold because this will set you free. There's Listen, the Lord said this to me this morning, and I wrote it down because it's so quippy. He said, there's grace to break free, but first you need to see. That's a good word. There's grace to break free, but first you need to see. And when you're walking through warfare, and when you're walking through trials, when you're walking through extended periods of very difficult times, you begin to not be able to see anymore. Your vision becomes cloudy. Your vision becomes overwhelmed with all of the bad things around you. There's deliverance in the house today. There's breakthrough in the house today. There's a a bondage-breaking anointing in the house today. There is an anointing here to take you up and over and into the place that God has called you to. All you have to do is say yes. All you have to do is get in agreement with the one true living God. All you have to do is acknowledge, this is my battle. This is my nemesis. This is the thing that has kept me in a corner, left me out in the cold. It's not God. It's this mindset that repels people. Let's look at the way the victim mentality manifests. Number one, you feel powerless to fix the problems in your life or even cope with them. Feel powerless. When you're feeling powerless, that is a victim mindset because the Bible says that the power that raised Christ from the dead lives on Pluto. No, the power that raised Christ from the dead lives on the inside of you. And so you're not powerless. You have the source of life, Zoe life, the God kind of life on the inside of you. You have the power that raised Christ from the, from the dead. You have the power that of, of, you have a miracle working back. It's all on the, you're never powerless. So anytime you begin to think, this is, this is, this is just, I, I can't change this. 
Maybe you can't, but God can. But as long as you think you can't and you think he can't, because that's what happens when we go through extended seasons of trial and warfare, we begin to wonder, God, are you even hearing me? God, why are you letting this continue on this way? We begin to even doubt that God himself is able, or maybe he just doesn't want to. Anyway, when we start having those thoughts, it's a victim mentality. It's the enemy trying to take us down for the count. Number two, you magnify the devil's attack and exalt his power over God's power. You magnify the devil's attack and exalt his power over God's power. Listen, we, we, <laughs> I'll be the last person in the world to tell you to ignore the devil. I, I'm not going to, the Bible said, don't be ignorant of the devil's devices. Don't be ignorant. Don't ignore. We cannot ignore the devil, but we can easily slip from a place of discerning, recognizing, and combating what the enemy is doing to a place where we are giving him glory, that we are giving him power in our lives with our words. We are giving him uh, credit that he doesn't deserve because when we go through seasons of long extended periods of warfare, it's like we start to think everything is the devil and we stop magnifying the Lord. But David, the psalmist said, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. So I ask you today, who are you or who or what are you exalting in your life? When we talk about the devil more than we talk about God, we've got it backwards. We have to talk about what the devil is doing for the purpose of prophetic intelligence so that we can wage war, so that we can get on unity and see the enemy. I am all about waging war. We did it all morning upstairs. I will take the devil down anytime he comes toward me. But guess what? If I'm hyper-focused on the devil and I talk more about him than I talk about God, then I've got it out of order. We have to be balanced in warfare. God is greater. God's powerful. He's more powerful. Yeah, the enemy has power. But Jesus said, look, I have given you authority and, 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 and you can trample on serpents and scorpions and nothing shall by any means hurt you. And he says, I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy. So yes, the devil does have power. Please don't make a mistake and be one that ignores him. Because if you ignore him, he will not go away. Just like if you ignore a cancer in your body, it will not go away. Don't ignore him, but magnify the Lord over the situations. I've been reading the Psalms all week because David had so much warfare. I mean, this, this kid, my goodness, everybody was against him. Even his friends turned against him. Even his family turned against him. It's like everybody was against him. And he cried out to God. And one time he, he, he said, and they, they call this a messianic psalm because it points to Jesus. One time he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he felt like God was nowhere. He felt like God was no longer with him. And when we get into that mentality where we don't even know if God is there anymore, that we become to take on the mindset of a victim. And so we can't do that. God, but see, David always ended his psalms glorifying the Lord and magnifying him. So I'm reading the Psalms this weekend. I'm the, he says, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Psalm 34, verses 3 through 5. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. When we magnify the devil's facts over God's truth, we feel like victims. Look, if I'm going to go down, I'm going to go down fighting. Amen. If I'm going to go down, I'm going to go down fighting. If I'm going to lose, I'm going to lose after I gave it every last shot and every last bit I had in me. And that's how you have to be. Because if you lay your weapons down, honey, the devil is not going to stop fighting you. He's going to go in for the kill. 
How many spiritual warriors do I have out there? Amen. Number three, you get a victim mentality when you begin to pe- you begin to th- you think people are out to get you, and even wonder if God's on your side. People are out to get you. You begin to feel like everybody is just against you, and maybe they are. But the Bible says, if God is for you, then who can be against you? And let me just translate that for you in modern English. What he means is, if I am for you, my beloved one, it doesn't make any difference at all who's against you. Because when I am on your side, says the Lord, I am greater and I am bigger and I am stronger. So let them take their best shot because I am there to pick you back up if you fall. Amen. Sometimes we don't understand. I imagine, you know, that this is how Joshua felt. The Lord showed me this just recently. And I was like, wow, this is really something. I can identify with this. In Joshua 1 and 5, God told him. He commissioned him. He said, you know, he says, you know, so was I with Joshua. I'll be with you. Go take the land. Go. He says, no man will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not abandon you. I will not leave you. And so here we see Joshua is doing mighty feats, mighty exploits, taking the promised land. And all of a sudden he goes to Ai, Ai, a city called Ai, Ai, in the Bible, and he loses a lot of men in battle. I can't imagine how Joshua must have felt in that moment. Wait a minute, God, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. You said that you were never going to leave me. You said just as you were with Moses, you were going to be with me. You said you'll be with me all the days of my life, that you won't abandon me and you won't leave me. Then why did I lose this battle? How did, imagine how he felt. What did he do? Joshua 7, 7, listen, he says, Oh, Lord God. Why did you bring this people across the Jordan to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Imagine his confusion. And that is the point of decision. Will you continue to trust God when it seems like you've lost the battle? Will you believe that he has already won and secured the victory for you and you just have to rise up and fight again? Or will you be like Joshua and question the Lord and wonder in your heart, is God even with me? We have to believe that God is good, the devil is bad, that he is with us, not against us. There are issues where, yes, there was sin in the camp. This is why. God didn't lie to him. The enemy attacked. There was an open door. There was sin in the camp. Achan had hidden away some of the spoils from the previous battle, and that was against the word of the Lord. And so the whole nation suffered. And this is a lesson. Listen to me. Sometimes your warfare isn't because of anything you are doing. Sometimes your warfare is because of what somebody connected with you is doing. That's why it's so important that you not align prematurely with people and that you break alignments with people who have gone off into deception because Joshua suffered this great blow and so many men in Israel were killed because of one man's sin. So we have to be very careful. But Joshua didn't play the victim. He got in sackcloth and ashes. He got on his face and he went back up and he fought another battle and he was victorious. He kept on trusting the Lord. God, listen, God can handle your questions. He's not religious like you. (laughs) He can handle it. He can handle when you get mad at him. He can handle it. 
He's never done anything wrong. He doesn't deserve our anger, but he can handle it. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are but dust. He gets it. He understands. So go ahead and pour your heart out to him like David did. Whatever you have to do, but whatever you do, do not take on a victim mentality. Somebody say, I'm a victim. I'm not a victim. Number four, you get easily offended when someone tries to help you see your life from God's perspective or you reject godly counsel because you feel like no one could possibly understand. You try to justify your victim mentality, but you don't understand. But you don't understand. You don't understand. But you don't understand. You know what? They probably don't. But I know one who does. His name is Jesus. The Bible says we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses and, and all of these things because he was tempted in the same manner as we were, but he didn't sin. And so we have to understand, we have to go to the one who understands us and stop trying to get people to understand us because they're probably not going to. And then we get mad and then we feel alone. Then we feel isolated. Then we feel like, oh, woe is me. I'm all alone. That's just a lie. Of course, the other side of it is we need to stop giving pat answers to people who are going through trials. Oh, just bless the Lord, sister. It'll be all right. Oh, just give the sacrifice of praise. It's going to be all right. We go through these trials and people just want to tell us, oh, you know what? When you're going through your trial and I said that to you, you'd smack me. Because we don't need pat answers. We need prophetic insight to minister to people who are going through trials. We don't need a generic scripture, although it's good and although it's true. We need a rhema word, a life-giving word that's going to break through the witchcraft. Number five. Oh, this is this. I, I might skip this one because y'all going to get mad at me. Yeah, Basha. You refuse to take responsibility for your position in life. Victim, when you have a victim mentality, you just won't take, you, you just won't even consider that maybe you did something to contribute to your state. It's all their fault, their fault, their fault. It's them. They did this to me. They did that to me. They did this to me. Okay, well, but remember when the Lord warned you not to connect with them? Remember when the Lord said, don't buy that? And now you can't pay your bills, but the Lord tried to give you wisdom and maybe you didn't take it. So we can't blame God and we can't blame other people. Yes, people do hurt us. They do. They hurt us. They wound us. They almost destroy us sometimes. But we have a responsibility in that moment. Are we going to pick up the pieces, have allow the comfort of the Holy Spirit to come upon us, receive his healing balm of Gilead? Are we going to process through this thing and forgive it? Or are we going to be bitter and just continue to take on the woe is me, nobody loves me, might as, everybody hates me, might as well go eat worms mentality. We have a choice. We have a choice. Life is not fair, but God is good. We must examine our hearts. We must examine our hearts. Here's another one. You get upset, number six. You get upset when people don't give you sympathy. You think you deserve sympathy and they won't give you sympathy. They want to encourage you to get up and go fight and you just want to be felt sorry for. They don't RSVP to your pity party. You feel rejected. The only ones who join in your pity party or other people are other people who are also miserable because misery loves company. I don't, I hope nobody wants to come to my pity party because it's just, it becomes their pity party and it's no longer about me. So, you know, that's a problem. I'm teasing. You need to get a sense of humor this morning. Amen. Host, you host your own private pity parties. Number seven. You host your own private pity party. No one will come, so you just decide to have your own private pity party. Feel sorry for yourself. And self-pity attracts devils. 
The devil always shows up to your pity party to agree with you. If nobody else will come to your pity party, oh, the devil will come. And he'll tell you, that's right. I can't believe they did that to you either. And you're hearing these voices and you're having these imaginary conversations in your head about what you're going to say to them. And you're plotting and you're planning how you're going to get them back. And you might not even be aware that you're doing it. Because most of us don't think about what we're thinking about. Most of us are not aware of these thoughts. We're just aware of our emotions. We're aware of how we feel. But you have to understand that how you feel is connected to what you're thinking. Unless I'm not talking about physical pain, that's that's different. All those studies have shown that even in physical pain, if you'll look somewhere else and stop focusing on that, it actually does hurt less. Isn't that amazing? It's the power of the mind. Number eight, you walk in a state of fear, doubt, and negativity about your circumstances. You've got to listen to yourself because you may not be aware of your thoughts. I get it. I understand that most of us are not cognizant of all of our thoughts. Studies show we think thousands and thousands of thoughts every day. We make thousands of decisions every day. A lot of these things are just automatic. And where there's a where there's a, a demonic stronghold in your mind, you're no longer aware that it's the enemy. You just think that it's you. Once the enemy builds a fortified place in your mind, you don't know that it's him. You just think that it's you. You think it's your voice. You think it's your reasoning, your justification. You think it's you. And that is very dangerous. When we can no longer separate our thoughts from the enemy's thoughts, it's a very dangerous place to be in. But the Bible says in Hebrews 4 and 12 that the word of God is sharp. It's alive. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It is able to divide between the soul and the spirit. This is why when this comes, these thoughts, this self-pity, all of it, we have to get in the word. And beloved, I know what it's like to be so covered with witchcraft. And those of you who don't understand what that is, it's in the Bible, 2 Kings 9 and 22, Jezebel's witchcraft, it's sorcery, it's control, is all of these things. When you're under such oppression, let me use a church-friendly word for you this morning. If you're under so much oppression. I understand that when you're trying to read the Bible, you can actually fall asleep. So then put on a CD of the Bible. Get up and pace with your Bible in your hand. Do whatever it takes to break this off of yourself. Not everybody has people around them who know how to pray. Thank God we're in a praying church. The Lord told me Awakening House of Prayer needs to live up to its name. So we're going to be having a whole lot of more prayer meetings here. Prayer will be the number one primary thrust of the ministry. We're going to have church on Sunday. We're going to have meetings and events. We're going to have all kinds of healing rooms and prophecy rooms, but there will be more prayer per inch than anything else going forth. Amen. Cause we're going to cover you out of the abundance of the heart. The mouth speaks. You may not know what you're thinking, but you can hear yourself talking. And if you can't hear yourself talking, then talk to somebody else, get a friend and say, if you hear this trash coming out of my mouth, just tell me. But then when they tell you, don't get offended. Somebody recently, they said, they said to me, they said, if I ever fall into deception, you better tell me. You better tell me if I ever fall. If I'm going off the deep end, you better tell me. Guess what happened? About a year later, they went off the deep end. Guess what happened? I told them. Guess what happened? They cursed me. So if we're going to tell somebody as a safety net, please tell me. Then when they tell us, we have to at least be willing to take it before the Lord and say, Lord, is this true? 
Because maybe they are wrong. Maybe they've misunderstood us. But if we're not willing to look here and we're not willing to take it there, then we're just open season. We're just open season for the enemy. You have a victim mentality when I can't are keywords in your vocabulary. When I can't, when I can't move to I don't want to, then you've been really beaten down. I was studying this week and I didn't finish my study. I study so many things. Some of it's on a whim. I get a thought and I start searching. What causes someone's will to be bent to the point that they don't want to do something anymore? Or they want to quit a marriage. Or they want to quit a ministry. Or they want to... You know how many pastors leave the ministry? you have any idea how many pastors quit the ministry every year? Thousands. You know why? Because pastors are largely unappreciated. They're abused. They're persecuted. People get so offended. They've got the pressure of the world on their shoulders. They're overworked, underpaid. But we have to understand that when you don't want to do something anymore, when you're ready to give up, it's a sign that the enemy has beat you down, but it's also a sign that your breakthrough is very close. Because the Bible says the enemy, Daniel 7.25, the Bible says the enemy comes to wear out the saints, to weary the saints. And so when he's got you right where he wants you, you know what? You are in line for a miracle. You are in line for a breakthrough. All you have to do is just lift up your head and press through and you'll get there. So if there's somebody here that's just hopeless, you're just feeling low, like nothing's ever going to change. If you'll just turn your head toward God one more time, I promise you, he's going to speak to you. He's going to show you. He's going to make it plain or he's going to send somebody to tell you, maybe it'll be me today. Number 10, amen. Number 10, you feel like you have the right to complain because of what happened to you. You have the right. You have the right. Well, you know, if anybody had the right to complain, it was Paul. He was stoned three times. He he was shipwrecked. He was flogged. He was betrayed. He was persecuted, abandoned, pressed down, but not destroyed. Paul could have complained, but he didn't. Jesus, how about that? He was up on the cross. He didn't complain. I can't believe that I'm up here. I didn't do anything to deserve this. This is unjust. No, he didn't complain. The Bible says he kept his eyes on you. Kept his eyes on the prize. Who's the prize? You. And when we get to where we want to complain and we want to give up, We have to keep our eyes on the prize because God has a prize for all of you. God has eternal rewards for all of you. There's a victory. There's a finish line. There's a crossing over for all of you. And you've got to keep your eyes on that. And that will give you help help to give you the strength to keep going. Number 11, you have a victim mindset when you feel like you deserve what you're getting. You feel like you deserve it. And number 12, we sort of touched on this one. Victim, you have a victim mentality when you want vengeance, when you want to take vengeance. I remember, I don't know if I've ever told you, I've told some of you this, but when I was put in jail, falsely accused of a crime I did not commit, uh, I was there because a friend of mine was helping me pack to go to New York City. And I was just about to move there. I was working for CBS and I had paid this woman who was a girlfriend of a friend of mine because they were going through a hard time financially and they needed the extra money. And so I decided I'll, I'll pay her 500 bucks to pack all my stuff up. I didn't even have that much stuff, but I'm just trying to be 
a blessing. And so she packs everything up, most everything, and she says to me, uh, well, you know what, it's going to be another $500. And I said, uh, excuse me? Yeah, you're going to have to give me another 500 I said, I already gave you 500 It wasn't even worth that. It was not that much stuff. She says, no, you're going to have to give me the other 500 I said, I'm not giving you another 500 Now, if she had just asked me as a friend, that would be fine, but she demanded it from me. And I'd already been through so much injustice that I just was not willing to allow myself to be cheated again knowingly. I'd already lost so much. I'd already been betrayed and abused and abandoned. I'd already been all these things. I just wasn't willing to let her do that. If she had asked me for it, I would have given it to her. Well, she pitched a fit, said, I'm going to get you for this. I'm like, okay, what are you going to do to me? Well, America's Most Wanted was in town. And she had found in my paperwork that there was this it's a long story to watch my testimony, but I had contacted an attorney to get something wiped clean, a false accusation. There was a, uh, it's a long story. It's all my testimony on Sid Roth. You can go watch it. But the bottom line was I was doing something. I didn't know there was a warrant for me and there was, and I was getting it fixed because it was unjust and it was just about to expire in three weeks. It would have expired. So I contacted the attorney. They said, yeah, this is, this is a no brainer. This should never have been issued. We're going to get this taken away, no problem. And so I submitted that to him and he was working at, well, this lady who's cleaning my house and moving my stuff, she found the paperwork from the attorney and she thought, this is my chance. So America's Most Wanted was in town in Tampa, Florida, and she called America's Most Wanted and dropped the dime on me, as they say. So about midnight, here come the police. We have a warrant for your arrest. I'm like, what is this? And they took me to jail. And my record was eventually wiped clean. It was erased. It was, I was found, it was a gross misjustice of error. Everything was overturned. But I was looking at five years in prison and I didn't know, you know, I didn't know what was going to happen. But I remember my point is this. I wanted vengeance on this woman. I wanted vengeance. And I'm pretty smart. I'm very analytical. And I laid there in that jail cell. I was in isolation for a long time, days. When you're in isolation like that, you just, well, you don't have nothing to do but think. And you got to kind of think about something because you kind of go crazy being all by yourself like that. And so I began to think how I would frame her for stealing a whole bunch of money in my house. I said, I'm going to say I had this, that, and the other, and rings and jewelry, and, and, I'm, and, and her fingerprints will be all over everything. And I'm going to say that she turned me in because she knew she stole it. And when I get out, I had this elaborate plan for vengeance. And then I got saved in the jail. Amen. And I started praying for her. And I never followed through on that. But at that point, you understand, I had such a victim mentality because my husband had just left. Then I was falsely accused of this thing and all the stuff from the past that never got handled right through my last attorney came back up in my face. And I had this elaborate plot. And if some of you will admit the truth, you come up with some pretty elaborate plots to get back at people as well. And when you have vengeance in your heart, see, the Bible says vengeance is mine, I will repay. And David spoke in Psalm 8 and verse 2 about the Avengers. He prayed against the Avengers. Don't be that way. Because when you have a victim mindset, many times you want justice. You want them to pay. You want to make them as miserable as they have made you. But that is not the way of Christ, and that is not the law of love. And so you have to squash those feelings, and you have to pray for them. And somebody just got set free. Instead of a victim mentality, you need to develop a conqueror's mentality. 
See, the Bible calls us more than conquerors. The Amplified Version actually says, actually calls us super conquerors. So, like, if you could see me right now in the spirit, I'd have some tights and a cape because I'm a super conqueror. Amen? And so are you. So are you. Superhero movies are all the rage, you know, but we are superheroes in the spirit. We're super conquerors. We need God's grace to step into that, that identity, to see ourselves as we really are. We've got to ask God for grace to grow and the anointing that he gave us. You know, 10 of the 12 spies were like grasshoppers, but two of them were like super conquerors, Joshua and Caleb. They saw the giants. They saw all the things. Like some of you, you have giants of pain from your past that come back to tell you who you are and who you're not. Some of you have giants called debt or lack that are in your way. There's all kind of giants that we can have in our life, but we can overcome them. We can conquer them in Jesus. Amen. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We have to understand who we really are. We read you this passage here, Luke 8, 42 through 48, and I alluded to this a few, maybe a couple months ago. As Jesus went, the crowds were pressing against him. And a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years, I'm comparing her to the one who had the sickness for 38 years. She didn't have it as long, but she was more desperate than him, apparently, because she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind Jesus, and she touched the hem of his garment. And immediately, her hemorrhage stopped. And Jesus said, who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone did touch me, for I was aware that power had gone out of me. And when he saw the woman that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down before him and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said, Daughter, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace. But what did she do to get there? There wasn't anybody to make her an appointment with Jesus. Okay, I'll meet you at 3 p.m. on Saturday. No, there was no one to escort her there. There was no one to, to you know, Jesus didn't come to her house. He was going to the centurion. He was going to Jairus' house to raise his daughter from the dead. He didn't He didn't have a, 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 a home visit. She didn't have a home visit from Jesus. She had to crawl and struggle and fight her way through the crowd that was pressed up against him in order to touch him. So that is a conqueror's mentality. Look, I know that some of you have been hurt. I know that some of you have been wronged. I know that some of you have been abandoned, abused. You've lost jobs unjustly. You've been discriminated against continually. I understand that. But we all have a choice to make today. Are we going to be bitter or are we going to be better? Are we going to allow the enemy to paint up paint pictures of ourselves as a victim? Or are we going to see ourselves in Christ as we really are as a victor? Amen? And today I decree over you that you are a victor. In just a minute, we're going to open these altars. And if you are one who is struggling, I want you to come forward in just a minute. First, we're going to take up our tithes and offerings because it's going to get crazy in here. About to get wild in here. And I want you to sow a generous seed today. I want you to help us. The air conditioning, I was here till 7 o'clock last night. Somebody 7 o'clock. With D, because the air conditioner has some weird thing with it where it trips the fire alarm and then it it blows smoke and then it shuts down and then it's hot. And because it was the weekend, we had to pay an enormous fee just to have a guy come out and check it. And I didn't want you to be hot and sweaty today. Amen. Say thank you, apostle. Amen. I didn't want to be hot and sweaty either. It was a little selfish. But this air conditioning thing continues to be a plague on us, among other things. And I'm not asking you to sow into an air conditioner. I'm asking you to sow into a kingdom. But how many of you know we don't need to be coming to church and it be hot as hell? Amen? 
Amen. We don't need to feel like we're in hell when we come to church. So please sow a, please sow a generous seed today. The Lord says, the Bible says, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. You can't outgive God. If you take, listen, if you take care of God's house, he'll take care of yours. What you make happen for somebody else, he'll make happen for you. And that is my uh, pitch for you today, uh, to give into the kingdom of God. Amen. God is good. The text he gives up there, if you need an envelope for your giving, if you're using a credit card, if you're just, uh, you know, writing a check, you don't have to put that in an envelope. We make copies of that to keep records. But you can make a check payable to AHOP. You can use the Cash App, which is dollar sign awakening hop. Wilbur, I wonder if you could make us a slide with all the electronic giving options. I could probably make it because that is just one of them. We want to make it convenient for people. The, the cash app is Awakening Hop. We also use PayPal. If you're a PayPal user, is paypal.me slash Awakening Hop. All of you who are online, listen, there's a, a donate button or a give button right there, uh, right there for you. So into this today. You can't buy freedom, but you can sow into the kingdom and God will do for you. He'll bring for you the harvest that you need. We, we think about sowing and we think, well, it's all, it's, it's, it's money for money, but it's not money for money. Sometimes it's money for something else that you need. Sometimes you see that your sowing is not in kind. In other words, sometimes you get something different than what you expected. God always knows what we need. Hallelujah. This has been a production of the Awakening Podcast Network. Jennifer LeClaire is the founder and owner of APN. Our heart is to inspire people and exalt Jesus with every broadcast. We're grateful for our advertisers and supporters that make these podcasts possible. 